The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of royal peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. You know, this attack was most likely done because of that rhetoric being being spread. Like, that's my prediction, is that we're going to find out that this was someone with, with very far-right motivations and someone who, who follows people like Tucker Carlson, like Ben Shapiro, like Matt Walsh. That's my prediction here. I looked at the... Uh... I looked at the blog post uh, from the individual who attacked Paul Pelosi, but what he put on his blog post weren't much different than the Meadows text messages. Hell, they weren't much different than Jenny Thomas's text messages. And that's, that's when we talk about online radicalization or the radicalization pipeline. This guy was motivated by a climate and a culture and an ecosystem and a structure of agitprop and media manipulation of weak-minded people in this country, because that's really the target audience for Fox and for Bannon, and for Alex Jones, and for this gigantic accretion of far-right, MAGA-right ecosystems that feed these people. Crazy people go on the internet, too. Crazy people watch cable TV, too. Crazy people are fed this propaganda, also. Throughout history, a lot of assassinations have been mentally ill people who were motivated and manipulated by much smarter people. Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, others in the MAGA Republican Party who glorify violence and their leader, Kevin McCarthy, who says nothing about it and does nothing to stop it. If that's the environment he's going to create, it's a green light to every assailant out there to use violence rather than voting. At this point, it, it, it simply does not matter. The problem is people keep egging these people on. There are people on the television across the street from us that egg these people on. So now the the Democrat Party is the party of law and order. They're very much now, very much pro-police, just like they were following the hoax on January 6th. Here they are all weekend long. I mean, they knew right away, right as soon as reports started coming in that Paul Pelosi was attacked in his home in the Pacific Heights of San Francisco, they knew, they knew that the perpetrator was a MAGA Republican. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We certainly appreciate you joining our growing audience. You can get to the live video stream of this show every weekday morning at 11 a.m. here in the central time zone of the United States. Just go to our website, thetrumpet.com. Go to thetrumpet.com forward slash live. And it takes you to the live stream page. We also post all of these shows after the fact so that you can uh, watch them on demand. If you prefer, you can email the program too. send us a, a message, TD at the trumpet dot com. So let's talk about politically motivated violence just for a moment. You had a few years ago, Steve Scalise, a Republican out playing softball with a bunch of other Republicans. And out comes a Bernie bro. With a, with a gun sh and shoots up the Republicans, nearly kills Steve Scalise. That just a few years back. Same with Rand Paul, attacked by his neighbor. Broke six ribs, I think. Spent a lot of time in the hospital. And one person on MSNBC, one of the talking heads, said it was her favorite story of the day. They loved it. They loved the violence. 
if it's aimed at the political opposition, if it's aimed at those dirty Republicans, then it's a-okay. It's fine. Rand Paul was harassed uh, during the summer months of, Jan- of 2020 as well. The summer of love. Cities were burning down. And these same Democrats were handcuffing law enforcement officials. You go right down the list. Lee Zeldin, more recently, almost stabbed. He's running for governor. And this lunatic jumps up on stage, nearly stabs him. You've got Brett Kavanaugh. His house was attacked. The the guy had firearms before he was apprehended just, just outside of Kavanaugh's home. This is from uh, Marco Rubio a few weeks ago. Might have been just a week or two. A, a canvasser going door to door. He's attacked. He's attacked by four thugs. He had to get facial reconstructive surgery. Broke his jaw. Still in the jail. Or sorry, in the hospital. The, the perpetrator should be in jail. Two volunteers this is for, from uh, Texas. Two volunteers for the Greg Abbott campaign were assaulted. Fox News says, assaulted while knocking on doors in a Houston suburb, Harris County law enforcement officials said. A suspect chased the two volunteers through a neighborhood in Humble, Texas, ripped off the side view mirrors of the car they were in and tried to pull them out of the vehicle. Tried to pull them out. A governor candidate for, uh, for a governor in Mexico, New Mexico, sorry. He had his home windows shot at. And here again, you've got the, the so-called summer of love, all the George Floyd riots in the summer of 2020, the movement to defund the police thereafter. Uh, and before that, look at all the rioting that greeted Donald Trump into the presidency back in January of 2017. Not one word about any of this. In fact, they were inciting it. They were encouraging it. But now... Now they've, they've finally got what they, what they needed. Never let a crisis go to waste. Now they can tell you that just like Joe Biden announced at that blood red speech, the real danger, the real danger comes from MAGA Republicans. And oh, by the way, the 18 year old kid, he was run over by a deranged Democrat following the blood red speech in Philadelphia. And here comes a Democrat, mows down the opposition, literally, in his car, just like Daryl Brooks at Waukesha. These killers are on quite a rampage, these radical leftist communist killers. But you'd never know it listening to the communist leadership. This is Barack Obama in uh, Michigan campaigning over, over the weekend in Michigan. Clip 13. And then you've got an erosion of just civility, including in our politics, our democratic norms. We've got politicians who work to stir up division. And, and, and sometimes it, it can turn dangerous. You know, I want to take a moment to say a prayer for a friend of mine, uh, Mr. Paul Pelosi, who was... 82 years old, was attacked when somebody broke into his home looking for his wife, Nancy. If our rhetoric about each other gets that mean, when when we don't just disagree with people, but we start demonizing them, 
making wild, crazy allegations about them. That creates a dangerous climate. Mm, wow, that's especially rich coming from him. Angry, violent rhetoric. Now he usually he usually glosses it over with some angel of light sound. But here he's been demonizing Donald Trump and all things Trump. He's the Antiochus. He's the real president. He's behind the movement to destroy Donald Trump and MAGA Republicans. He's behind the blood red speech in Philadelphia. And here he is, and, and also over the weekend, promising liberty and freedom. He's leading the communist movement, which wants full control over every aspect of government. And they're desperate. They're desperate. You can see it in the way they're using the Pelosi story. And we'll, we'll get to that in, in just a moment. But here's, here's Barack Obama. He's establishing the messaging. And then everyone, as if just taking their cue, they, they take it and run with it. The other Democrats, the other prominent Democrats, all the talking heads in the news media. Obama leads the way. And, you know, speaking of desperation, listen to this was uh, also this was in Wisconsin, I believe, as he's trying to to prevent Ron Johnson from being reelected re as a senator. Listen to the angry tone. Oh, and 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 notice what it's over. This is, again, Obama over the weekend. Some of you here are on Social Security. Some of your parents are on Social Security. Some of your grandparents are on Social Security. You know why they have Social Security? Because they worked for it. They worked hard jobs for it. They have chapped hands for it. They had long hours and sore backs and bad knees to get that Social Security. And if Ron Johnson does not understand that, if he understands giving tax breaks for private planes more than he understands making sure that seniors who've worked all their lives are able to retire with dignity and respect, he's not the person who's thinking about you and knows you and sees you, and he should not be your senator from Wisconsin. That's uh, quite a departure from the, the more typical angel of light. That's Obama unhinged. Uh, and Sam and I were discussing it this morning. I'm not sure we've ever seen him that angry. And it was over Social Security. He says, he says Ron Johnson is going to take away Social Security. Who's demonizing who here? That's Obama just in the same, in the same weekend that he's out saying the Republicans, the MAGA Republicans are responsible for the attack on Paul Pelosi. MAGA Republicans, as I say, then all the rest, they take their cue and they run with it. Here's the, the fake president from, uh, from over the weekend, clip four. The election was not real, that it's being stolen, that all the, all the malarkey that's being put out there to undermine democracy. You can't just apologize and say, the violence. It affects people's mentality. It affects how people think, particularly people who are not maybe as stable as other people. So the, the talk has to stop. That's the problem. That's the problem. We can't just say, I feel badly about the violence. We condemn it. Condemn what produces the violence. And this talk produces the violence. 
the talk has to stop, says the man who, in the blood-red speech, called the MAGA Republicans fascists. And then a week or two later, a fascist Democrat runs over an 18-year-old kid in North Dakota. There he is. Look at how dangerous this is. This is why. This is why their heads are exploding over Elon Musk getting control of Twitter. Because they have to control the talk. The talk on the other side. When Kyler, what's his name, Ellingson, when he's killed by a radical Democrat, they just ignore it. See, they control the talk. They want to control the talk in either direction that it goes. It's all about establishing that narrative. This is uh, Ilhan Omar. She's a congresswoman. She's a radical. She's an extremist. She's one of the worst. But still, she's in Congress. She says, a far-right white nationalist. They're trying to make this perpetrator a far-right white nationalist. This guy, yeah, this guy from the nudist colony that's got BLM flags in front of his apartment and a rainbow flag as well. He comes from the LGBTQ community. We'll get into some of his background in a moment, but never mind. She says this, and this is what it's about solely. Just get the narrative out there and make sure you can stop the talk of the opposition. It says here, a far-right white nationalist tried to assassinate the Speaker of the House and almost killed her husband a year after violent insurrectionists tried to find her and kill her in the Capitol. And the Republican Party's response is to either ignore it or belittle it. Well, I haven't seen uh, any Republicans ignore it. Now, you, you wish they would come on a little bit stronger, particularly when some of the facts seem a bit fuzzy particularly when it seems like investigators, police chiefs, or, or, or certainly commentators are willing to, to lie about things. We'll get into some of the facts of the case in a moment. Here's Rob Reiner. He's the Hollywood director. Donald Trump has been spreading the big lie for two years. The violent assault on Paul Pelosi and the attempt to murder Speaker Pelosi is directly related to the lie. Donald Trump is 100% responsible for this and January 6th. He must be indicted and never be allowed to hold office. These are the people that promise you freedom and liberty. They're fighting for liberty, Obama says over the weekend. They're promising liberty, just like it says in 2 Peter 2. In fact, in fact, they want you in captivity. They want you in slavery. They want control. Donald Trump is responsible for that attack at the Pacific Heights on early Friday morning? Really? Listen to this from the White House spokesperson, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, clip five. And the thing that is probably the most haunting uh, about when we hear the reports of this assailant, of the attacker that you were, we were speaking of, is that he was he was yelling out the things that we heard during January 6th, which is, where is Nancy? And, you know, again, we need to end this type of rhetoric. It needs to stop. Uh, and it is incredibly, incredibly dangerous. Another January 6th. That's the White House press spokesperson. Another January 6th? He was yelling out, where's Nancy? Oh, if, it's, if it's just Paul Pelosi who sustained the blow from the hammer and then was immediately taken to the, uh, the hospital. Who is it that heard him say, where's Nancy? 
Initially, there was a third person in the house. Now that's been scrubbed. So who, where is the witness that heard him utter the words, this MAGA Republican? He came into the house. He broke into the house with a hammer. And he was going to kill Nancy Pelosi. But she wasn't there. So he almost killed Paul Pelosi instead. Before anything is understood about the facts of this case, this is what we were treated to all weekend long. Listen to to Chuck Todd's exchange with uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar. This is uh, clip six. And I think it's very important to note, as you mentioned, that Homeland Security warning, um, that this has been going on for years. The attacks on her and this group of MAGA extremists uh, who, by the way, are putting up candidates on the ballot that Donald Trump supports, um, have been not ending when Donald Trump left office. Uh, they have been expanding into our politics. And many people have stayed silent during this time, not Liz Cheney, not Adam Kinzinger, within their own party. And I think it is really important that people realize uh, that it is not just this moment of right. this horrific attack, but that we have seen violence perpetrated uh, throughout our political system and it's been going on for years she says so there they are all weekend long demonizing MAGA Republicans you know the fascists demonizing them and saying that they're demonizing us and uh, judging by Obama's tone in one of his speeches I think they're backed into a corner they know they're they know they're losing control of the conversation, the narrative, especially when you've got Elon Musk. He's in charge of Twitter now. He's calling the shots. He's removing all of the censors. He's inviting people back into the conversation from the conservative right. And so they're in full-scale meltdown mode. Let's talk about the facts of this case. This is the police chief in San Francisco. This is his first announcement from uh, Friday. And keep in mind, the attack happens in the the middle of the night, 2.30 a.m. It's in the Pelosi home in Pacific Heights. Probably more video cameras in that neighborhood than just about any neighborhood in the United States. Nancy Pelosi, by the way, she is third in line to the presidency. You've got the president, you've got the vice president, and then you've got the speaker of the house. We'll talk more about the alarm system or lack thereof and uh, video footage or lack thereof in just a moment. But first, the police chief, clip one. At approximately 2.27 this morning, San Francisco police officers were dispatched to the residence of Speaker Nancy Pelosi regarding an A-priority well-being check. When the officers arrived on scene, they encountered an adult male and Mr. Pelosi's husband, Paul. Our officers observed Mr. Pelosi and the suspect both holding a hammer. The suspect pulled the hammer away from Mr. Pelosi and violently assaulted him with it. So they had to come out. I'll play another clip in a moment. They had to come out later and say, because he first sounded like, well, they both had a hammer and they're in a hammer fight. As it was, they were struggling over the hammer. So this is the, the initial reporting that happened. The attack, as he said, 2.27 a.m., this man breaks into the Pelosi home, we were told. No alar- evidently, no alarms go off because Paul Pelosi, remember, he had to retire 
he had to retire to the bathroom where his phone was being charged while evidently he was being held hostage. So the hostage taker says, okay, go ahead and go to the bathroom. He presumably closes the door. His phone's in there being charged. And then Pelosi calls the police and says, uh, there's a guy in here. Um, his name is David. He's a friend. He's a friend. So evidently Paul Pelosi is a friend of a MAGA Republican fascist. That's a, that's a newsflash in and of itself. So the friend is there, and Pelosi's telling all this to the dispatcher. The dispatcher, when telling the police, who are obviously very close, because there's, there's all kinds of police in that neighborhood. Th this is where the Speaker of the House lives. So the police show up in two minutes after this call, and they were told that Pelosi seemed confused which is an interesting word to use, especially in light of the incident from four or five months ago. He's driving home drunk in the middle of the night. Paul Pelosi, he's driving home drunk in the middle of the night, nearly kills someone after he runs through a stop sign, and it gets better. There's an unidentified occupant or, or traveler with him in the car, and we know nothing. We know nothing about who Paul Pelosi was with in the middle of the night, before he plowed into a car, drunk driving. He was drunk. And he gets nothing but a slap on the wrist. Not even that, really. So now we're to Friday morning, 2.30 in the morning, and this bizarre of a break-in. Listen, he, he got hit in the head hard. He had to go to the hospital and go into surgery right away. So it was a, whatever happened there, but the circumstances surrounding it why is it so murky? Why does it have to be so fuzzy? And why are the facts changing some three or four days into it? People have a right to question some of these facts. Listen again to Chief Bill Scott is his name. He came out early Friday morning or Friday midday. And then later, Friday night, he comes out to follow up because there are quite a few people that have questions about some of the facts of the case. This is clip two. And let me start off by saying this is still a coordinated and collaborative effort between the San Francisco Police Department, the Federal Bureau of Investigations, the FBI, the U.S. Attorney's Office, the U.S. Capitol Police, and our San Francisco District Attorney's Office led by D.A. Brooke Jenkins. At this time, the San Francisco Police Department is still the lead investigation or a lead investigating agency. First, I'd like to provide a little more detail that, of what transpired this morning when the officers arrived at the scene. We've gotten a lot of questions. Um, we want to clarify some things. There are just a lot of theories and speculation out there, so I will provide the detail I can. So when the officers arrived and knocked on the front door of the residence this morning, the door was opened by someone inside and the officers observed through the open door Mr. Pelosi and the suspect Mr. DePappi inside the entryway of the home. So the door was, the officers just knocked on the front door. It's a well-being check, right? Because he seemed confused on the phone. So the officers, they show up two minutes later, they knock on the door, someone inside opens the door, and then the officers can see these two struggling inside of the house, Pelosi and DePappi. They're fighting over the hammer, and DePape gets control of the hammer while the police officers are witnessing this. So it would have been on all of the, the video camera, the body cams. 
So if, if you release any of that, I mean, everybody would know exactly what happened. They'd also probably know who that, that, that mystery third person was. You know, the one that opened the door, that opened the door during the hostage crisis. So the police are looking into the house, and they see DePape get a hold of the hammer. He goes at Pelosi's head. I guess Pelosi collapsed. And then the police run in, wrestle DePape to the ground, and then he's in custody. So the following day, Saturday, Politico, in, in one of its 11 articles on the Pelosi attack, 11 articles this weekend. This is January 6th, part two. 11. Why is it so important for them to establish the storyline, the narrative, the messaging? And yet even still, Politico says, there was a third person who opened the door. Well, that obviously raised a lot of questions. A third person? Was that the one that heard the assailant say, where's Nancy? Is Nancy home? I want to bash her head in first. Or, or what did this third person, how was this third person involved? Because again, the, the, the poppy, he evidently smashes in the back window, even though there's broken glass outside of the house, but let that go. Just leave that aside. He smashes in the back door slash window and works his way in. And then there's the struggle with the hammer, but not until the police show up. Evidently, in the middle of that time or in the minutes leading up to it, the, the attacker says, sure, go to the restroom. And that's where Paul Pelosi's phone was. So here's as far as or rather as late as yesterday in the morning talk shows, they were reporting. This is from MSNBC. They were reporting about that third individual that was in the home, clip three. You know, there have been a lot of, uh, of the reports have indicated sort of how police got there and they witnessed the beating at the time. And there seems to be a hint that there was a third person in the house. You've got some new details on that as well, Tom. What can you tell us? Well, that's correct, Chuck. So it, the police chief came out and did a press conference later on Friday when, when most people had uh, uh, already started to go to bed on the East Coast. And, and in that press conference, uh, he stated that there was a third person inside the house that opened the door for police when they were called to that house. And that's when they saw the struggle over the hammer between uh, DePepe and Pelosi. And then DePepe, according to police, uh, struck Pelosi in the head with that hammer. So pretty straightforward. The police witnessed the crime, and there's also a, an additional person there who would have been a, a good witness. Well, well, as of late last night, we find out that the police are now revising the story to say that there was no third person, which, of course, changes everything about that scene. I mean, if you're DePappy, you don't, I presume, he, he is a crazy man. I'll get to that in just a second. But does he come over and open the door while he's got the hammer? Or, or does Pelosi somehow open the door? Or do the police, do they break in? Do they barge in because they hear a struggle? It raises all kinds of additional questions to say that there was no third person on the premises. And, and, and again, we're not, even, we're not even asking questions about the security detail that, that surely is right around that house. This is the Speaker of the House's home in Pacific Heights, a rich, wealthy neighborhood where powerful people live. That's why the police were so close and could make that well-being call on such short notice. So this DePappy, 
He's a member of this nudist cult. Fox News says this. DePappy, a conspiracy theorist, theorist who frequently posted online, has been mentally ill for a long time, according to his purported ex-life par partner, Oxane Taub. Taub, herself a jailed nudist activist, uh, convicted on child abduction charges, claimed in an interview with ABC, he's mentally ill. He's been mentally ill for a long time, Taub told the outlet. Taub went on to detail one incident when DePape reportedly came home after disappearing for almost a year out of the blue. He came back in very bad shape. He thought he was Jesus. He was constantly paranoid, thinking people were after him, and it took a good year or two to get back to, you know, being halfway normal. Well, I'm not sure he made it back to even halfway normal. But this is over at, uh, at Conservative Treehouse. It quotes Michael Schellenberger on Substack. It says, DePappy lived with a notorious local nudist in Berkeley. I mean, this is, that's, a, that's a MAGA hotbed, right? Berkeley, California. It says, complete with a Black Lives Matter sign in the window and an LGBT uh, rainbow flag emblazoned with a marijuana symbol hanging from a tree. A closer look reveals the characteristics of a homeless encampment or what Europeans call an open drug scene so he was a nudist, a drug addict, a BLM supporter, a rainbow flag waving. I don't know if he was homosexual or if that factored into whatever happened in the home, at the Pelosi's home that night. But this is some bizarre behavior. This is a bizarre background. It does raise some questions. It says, in the driveway, there's a broken down camper van. On the street is a yellow school bus which uh, neighbors said DePappy occasionally stayed in. So he's waving a rainbow flag. He's got BLM signs. He's, he's got signs that say in capitalism. He's a drug addict. He's a nudist. And the talking heads in the media say he's a MAGA Republican. Can you believe this? They will say anything. They will say, they will lie about anything. And if you question it, you're an insurrectionist. If you question it at all, you're a conspiracy theorist. As I say, the footage would show everything that anyone needs to know, whether it's the body cam footage or the security cam footage. And, and if he smashed in the window, what about the alarm? Aren't the alarms connected to some kind of security company that would then alert the police right away? And especially so because this is the Speaker of the House's house, right? But none of that. No alarm, no footage. He had to get into the bathroom and close the door so that he could call 911 and say, listen, my friend David is here. And uh, as, as the dispatcher put it, he, he seemed a little bit confused, somewhat confused. It's quite possible that this pervert somehow or another got into the home and obviously he attacked Paul Pelosi but there are quite a few questions as to what led up to this crazy attack, this crazy break-in. How did he get through all the police? How did he get through all the security alarms? Listen to, uh, again, the chief, the police chief in San Francisco. This, again, is from late Friday night, clip nine. First of all, I want to say that the U.S. Capitol Police is responsible for protection of Speaker Pelosi and her family. The San Francisco Police Department 
will assist in any way we can. I've been in contact with Chief Tom Manger of the U.S. Capitol Police. We've been in contact with his investigators and his, at least one of his chiefs, and we are working collaboratively. Any questions about the security of the Pelosi home should be referred to the U.S. Capitol Police. That is their responsibility, and I would ask that you refer any questions about security to them. I won't be able to answer any of those questions. So if you have any questions about the security at the Pelosi home, you've got to contact the Pelosi police there at the Capitol. And they, I'm sure they'll, they'll fill you in on how many camera angles there were and when the footage is going to be released, right? Well, look, if, if you want to make some comparisons to January 6th, here you go. Nancy Pelosi has carefully controlled all of the footage that does get released and all of the footage that does not get released because they have to control the narrative. They have to control the messaging. And right now, insofar as similarities between January 6th and what was it? October 28th, that's Friday, early Friday morning. The, the one consistency that we can definitely point out is they, they asked, where's Nancy? Because they were going to kill her on January 6th. And just like he was going to hammer her Friday morning, they asked the same question. Can you believe it? So here come the cows. I told Sam on Friday, as soon as I heard that they were collaborating with the FBI and the Capitol Hill police, that's when you know. That's when you know that the cover-up begins. Send in the FBI, send in the Capitol Hill police, get control of the footage, reestablish the narrative, change the facts late Sunday night. Day one, third person in the house. Day two, third person in the house. Day three, third person in the house. Day four, well, there's no third person in the house. Of course not. It was just Paul, and it was just David, his friend. That's what Paul said. I'm just quoting Paul. Called him his friend when he was on the phone with 911. This is one of the strangest, to put it mildly, it's one of the strangest break-in stories you will ever hear. Sundance says this. It is particularly noteworthy how the intelligence outlet media, specifically the New York Times, Washington Post, and Politico, frame reaction to the story of Paul Pelosi being attacked in San Francisco by a hammer-wielding man, possibly in his underwear. That's another little fact. First, he was in his underwear. You can understand why Paul would be in his underwear. It's the middle of the night and he's in his house. But the attacker, did he show up that way? Or was he, was he wearing clothes when he broke into the window and then he's in the house and then he disrobed? What happened there? So he's in his underwear too? Well, now that, that little fact has changed. Now that was fake news. He wasn't in his underwear. Come on now. Are you a conspiracy theorist? Well, that's the way it was reported early on. Was he in his underwear or not? It says here, essentially, if you do not believe the original media story about how police were doing a welfare check at 2 a.m. on Paul Pelosi only to discover a 42-year-old man named David DePepe who had recently broken into the house arguing with Mr. Pelosi and then striking the victim in the head with a hammer while police watched, then you are a right-wing conspiracy theorist. If you question any bit of this narrative, a narrative that's changing, by the way, that, that the radical left is changing, then you, you're the crazy one. You're the mega Republican. You're an insurrectionist. You're a conspiracy theorist. You're dangerous. 
Miranda Devine at the New York Post, Joe Biden lost no time in blaming ultra-mega semi-fascist MAGA Donald Trump supporters for the attack on Friday. Barack Obama, he used the Michigan, Michigan speech to uh, rail against politicians who work to stir up division to try to make us angry and afraid of one another. We played that clip for you. Hillary Clinton, well, I'll get to her tweet in a moment. Kamala Harris demanded people speak out against hate. Miranda Devine says, so, so did every other Democrat surrogate, like Hollywood director Rob Reiner, who tweeted Donald Trump is 100% responsible. So did all the Democrat-aligned media who delivered the same talking points in unison. As I say, Politico, eight sto sorry, 11 stories just over the weekend. 11 stories on this attack. Did they have even one on the, the kid in North Dakota that was mowed down by a Democrat? I don't know. Maybe they did. And uh, it's not like they haven't done something like this before, raised these false flags, or at least in this case, never let a crisis go to waste. It's a shame that you know whatever happened there led to someone getting a hammer blow to the head. But this is, this is Democrat talking points galore. I mean, everything fits, per, as long as you believe their side of the story, everything fits perfectly into the narrative that really, really was reinforced as bold as ever in that blood-red speech in Philadelphia. Listen to, this is a, 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 a separate story, but it didn't get quite as much media attention, but they... They, Katie Hobbs, she's running for governor against Carrie Lake in Arizona. This was just a, from a few weeks back. Her campaign headquarters is broken into, and Katie Hobbs, she sends the message out that Carrie Lake was behind it. Carrie, this was like Watergate all over again. Carrie Lake was behind the break-in of Katie Hobbs's headquarters, and, and local media, even national media, they took that story, that narrative, that messaging, and they ran with it. Can you believe that? They sure did. Listen to this more recent local report about that, clip eight. Talk about Arizona, the Democrat nominee there for governor is being forced to backtrack on a controversial statement that she made. She insinuated that her Republican candidate, Carrie Lake, was partially to blame for that break-in that we saw at uh, uh, Hobbs's campaign office. And you know, mainstream media really went wild and ran with the story. But now it turns out just hours later, we learned the culprit was actually a homeless man with a criminal record. <laughs> it's, it's almost laughable. The culprit was a homeless guy. Here they've been fueling this crime crisis all across the nation. And you have these deranged lunatics, these homeless people, breaking into her ha campaign headquarters, a nudist from a nudist cult. A BLM-supporting uh, Black Lives Matter rallier, it, yet now they're using him. Now they're crying out against violence. Now they're the, the party of law and order. These people have no shame. They will say and do literally anything. Zero Hedge asked these five questions about the investigation into the, the hammer attacker. The first question that we are left to wonder is the obvious. What was Dupepe's true motivation? What, what motivated him to do this? 
The second question is, who is the unidentified person that was there with them, according to all the initial reports that lasted for three days? You just heard it from MSNBC. Who was the third person? What did he or she witness? A third question relates to whether or not it is normal for glass to be on the outside of the home due to a forced entry into the house. You would think it would smash into the house. The fact that there's glass on the outside would suggest, or at least seem like, that it was smashed from the inside, maybe by the hammer. Who knows? Fourth, it says, which brings us to the fourth unanswered question, which was whether or not there was security in or around the house the night of the incident. But one would think there would be not just security, but world-class security. And then five, as Glenn Greenwald pointed out this weekend, there's also the fifth question of how Paul Pelosi was able to take a bathroom break in the midst of the attack. Lots of questions. Lots of questions to consider. You know, my father wrote, just, just for those that think there were some San Francisco values going on inside the Pelosi home that night, I don't think that's that far-fetched. But we'll wait, I guess, and find out. Hopefully, hopefully there's, there's an honest journalist who's curious enough to figure out the motivation, what led up to this, what the third person was there doing, or, or at least observing. But this article my father wrote, this was from back in uh, 2007. It was a, a, fe- a cover feature. It was when Nancy Pelosi became the Speaker of the House. And my father said this about San Francisco values. He said, the new Speaker of the House is a Democrat from San Francisco, Nancy Pelosi, this woman who is now second in line to the presidency after Vice President Dick Cheney is pro-abortion and pro-homosexual marriage. It says here, Democrats are excited by the fact that endorsements of San Francisco values now echo through Washington's halls. Is this what America needs? Prior to the elections, one newspaper stated, if Democrats win, minority leader Nancy Pelosi will be speaker and her far-left San Francisco values, gay marriage, cutting and running from Iraq, coddling terrorists, raising taxes, amnesty for illegals, will become the House agenda. My father says this, San Francisco values will now permeate every major decision made by the American government. San Francisco values. They, the Pelosi's celebrated. The, the, the city that they live in celebrates it. They love it. They declare their sin, like the Bible says. So you can't exactly rule out some, some pretty awful and filthy activity going on inside of that house or inside of the car from the incident a few months ago. It's, it's speculative, but we'll find out, hopefully. This is from Hillary Clinton yesterday. The Republican Party and its mouthpieces now regularly spread hate and deranged conspiracy theories. It is shocking, but not surprising, that violence is the result. Right on cue. She says, as citizens, we must hold them accountable for their words and the actions that flow. That was her tweet at Twitter, now owned by Elon Musk. He's the new CEO. He's the chief twit, as he says himself. And he tweeted in response to Hillary Clinton. He said, there is a tiny possibility there might be more to this story than meets the eye. Wow. You, you talk about some heads exploding. 
he had linked to a story, I think this was on maybe Saturday night, late Saturday night or uh, early Sunday morning, that talked about some San Francisco values going on that night. And that, and that website, it was a small newspaper, it crashed. So there were screenshots, it was all over Twitter. And, and, and really, when you think about the fact that Elon, he's now, he factors into this story because he's allowing for dissent. He's allowing for others to pursue some of the facts that are disputed. And the heads, as I say, the talking heads are exploding because they've lost control, in this case, control of the messaging as it goes out on Twitter. Listen to this. This is from this morning, MSNBC, clip 12. Right now, trending on Twitter mm -hmm. is the lie about this guy. It's the lie that- It's trending. It's trending on Twitter as we speak. Uh, because Elon Musk pushed it. I just want to make it clear how they got to this place. The lies that were pushed were from bad pieces of information they found. For example, they said that uh, Paul Pelosi was uh, in his underwear. Of course he was, 2.30 in the morning at the time he was attacked. They, that led them to believe this was a lover's quarrel between two different people that knew each other. The reason they believed they knew each other is because the police put out a statement saying that they didn't really know who opened the door. So they, that led them to believe there was a third person in the house. So from there, there was this world building on the pro-Trump internet. What could be the opposite of reality here? And the opposite of reality they came up with was these two people were having a lover's quarrel in a house and the police sort of intruded on us. It's fundamentally incorrect. It was pushed by the richest man in the world. That's what bothers him. Yeah, Elon Musk, he pushed this narrative. They can't, con they can't censor Elon Musk. They can't stop, they can't stamp him out. They can't blot him out. Notice the facts that he, that he disagrees with. The third person, the, the police chief, said that Friday night, and Politico reported that Saturday. And then the other thing about the, the relationship, whether or not they were lovers, Pelosi himself said he was a friend. He told the dispatcher that. Yeah, his name is David. He's a friend. So here comes this talking head this morning. He says, he's very self-righteously, he says, let me make it clear how they, they got to this place. There's all this misinformation circulating. And Elon Musk is largely to blame. We've got to stop, as, as Joe Biden himself said, we've got to stop the talk. It's not, a, it's, it's not necessary have any kind of footage or, or even well-established facts. Just believe us. This is will worship on full display. They're not going to release any footage. The Capitol Hill police are in control of it. We're not going to see any footage. It's just them saying this is what happened. It was MAGA Republican all the way. And if you disagree with us, well, you're spreading misinformation and you're part of the problem. This is quite the war of words. Both sides, the spirit of anti, this is why, in my humble estimation, this is why Barack Obama was so hot under the collar in that speech in Wisconsin over Social Security, and as if Ron Johnson's going to do away with that program. I mean, we're entrenched in the nanny state policies and economic uh, uh, programs. But there he was, angrily responding to Ron Johnson, because you see, Ron Johnson he gets, a, I mean, he gets a little bit under their skin. 
on the, the COVID, the vaccines and that sort of thing, even January 6th to some extent. But Elon Musk, I mean, that takes the cake. I was talking to my wife yesterday and also emailing uh, a couple of my colleagues just about the significance of the timing. Even com- we, We've talked in recent programs about how everything seems to be falling apart for these communist radicals. They, they give the blood red speech and the whole country is just shocked, even, even the background. But one after another after another, just taking one hit at this again, you can, you can see the sense of desperation, even in the tone of Barack Hussein Obama. And then the way they run with this crisis, it's all, they, it's all they've got. Let's create another January 6th. Surely then the voters will turn out in droves and vote us or keep us in power. And then all that happened over the weekend, just sickening stuff. The demonizing. To this morning, as you just heard there from MSNBC, listen to this exchange from Chuck Todd and, again, Senator Klobuchar on uh, Sunday, clip 10. Now that Elon Musk runs Twitter, do you trust him? Uh, No, I do not. What uh, what's your biggest fear of him running this um, running this social media platform? Well, I think you have to have some content moderation. You have to control the conversation. Just like they did in October of 2020. The Biden crime family laptop. Let's just blot it out. Let's just censor the New York Post. Let's, uh, let's make Rudy Giuliani look like a fool. He's a ghoulish fool. Can't believe him. Can't trust him. We'll blot it out. We'll blot it out for 18 months. You've got to be able to control the conversation. Katie Hobbs found out she couldn't control it. And so she's exposed as lying about Carrie Lake being behind the attack on that campaign headquarters. If they can't control it, they get exposed. It's interesting, again, when you think, here Elon Musk gets control of Twitter. Last week, 10 or 11 days before midterms, you add to that all the polling. Now, they're still capable of cheating, but with all the scrutiny that's going to be coming on these polling stations, the drop boxes, and even on Twitter, poll watchers that are going to be able to video What happens? What doesn't happen? And then put it right on Twitter. I mean, this time around, it's much more likely for the cheaters to be caught in real time. This is quite a wave that's developing. We'll see soon enough if it's it's a red wave or a blue wave or something in between the midterm elections. It's just a week out, a week from tomorrow. I'm sure that we'll have quite a lot to talk about on next week's programs. A few emails. If you'd like to email the show, by the way, you can reach us at td at the trumpet.com. Here's one from a week or so ago. It says, loved today's show as always. I also love God and his ability to make those who are wise appear foolish. He has allowed our leaders to set their own traps, hoping to catch certain Republicans in them, but are instead snapping shut and ensnaring them in their own lies and hypocrisy. Meanwhile, Donald Trump continues to lead a full court press on these infiltrators. 
all while playing defense against the DOJ, FBI, White House, media, uh, and their attacks. It says, yes, the exposure in chief, <laughs> the exposure in chief is shining a spotlight on all the loyal Obamists, Obamunists, he calls them, in the, in the government. And the whole world is now waking up to the deceit and treachery these lawless elites have been plotting. You know, it, it was interesting, too, in, in Richard's news stack. Maybe I can pull it up here and just read to you what he said at the, the start. This is Richard from our Edstone uh, office. It says here, it's been all over the news here in the UK. A MAGA Trump supporter showed up at Nancy Pelosi's house, couldn't find the Democrat, uh, and so in, instead attacked her husband. The attack is just more proof that MAGA Republicans are dangerous. January 6th was an insurrection, and Donald Trump should be in prison. So they have to get out there in front on the messaging. And then, like Richard points out, all of the, I mean, they watch TV a lot in the UK, too. But, but it's British television. They're up in the morning watching BBC, you know, Good Morning Britain, all those programs. And they're running with this narrative. I mean, you can see the devil even in just setting up Jeroboam for when he does get back in. The whole world's going to hate him. They're going to think he's a, a Hitler, the MAGA, the MAGA Republican fascist. This is some pretty demonic stuff going on. Satan has been cast down to this earth. The, this, the demons are confined to this earth. They, they get out on Friday, Saturday. They establish the narrative, false though it is. And then the UK journalists, for their part, well, they run with it. Of course, Donald Trump is evil. Everything starts from that premise. And so you just fill in the details, even if they're not completely factual. Just make it up and establish the control if you can but they're losing that control in some pretty big areas, including at Twitter. Pretty significant development. Just to finish this uh, email feedback, it says, like cockroaches scrambling to find the shadows in which they can hide, the light has come on in America, and it satisfies me greatly to see that it is, that it is God's finger operating the switch. As I say, if you'd like to submit some feedback, you can email the show, TD at the Trumpet. Com. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us on today's show. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>